Live and in color from the NBC News Radio Broadcasting Studios of KCAA, 1050 AM, 102.3 FM, and 106.5 FM, located in beautiful Southern California and in parallel from the Turfs Up Radio Studio in Fort Lauderdale, Florida. Thanks for tuning in to the Water Zone Show this evening. Well, good afternoon and happy September 8th to everybody out there in the Water Zone land. I'm your host, Rob Starr, along with the other great host, Mr. Chris Davey, and we welcome you to the show today. Hi, Chris. How are you doing? Doing great, buddy. Hey, guess what? The heat wave is going to be over. Though we topped triple digits again today, this is supposed to be the last day. And then on the weekend coming up here, we're supposed to get walloped by the remnants of Hurricane K, which is off the west coast of Mexico, uh, coming, coming up the Baja Peninsula as we speak. Well, you think it's going to make it all the way to the West Coast? Yeah, so we have a 70% chance of rain on Saturday with upwards of an inch of rain expected in the L.A. Basin. Wow. We need, we just, all of us need that rain desperately. Indeed so. Yep. How's today? Today's 111 here in Arizona. Nope. Right now we got, uh, we had about 101 and right now it is 99. Uh, and uh, so is is it sunny or overcast coming up or how do, how do you see uh, it? Oh, it's overcast. You can definitely feel the increase in, in uh, moisture, right? In the humidity. It is, uh-huh. uh, it's coming on shore. We could get, we could get this drizzle and rains as early as Friday, tomorrow night, tomorrow evening, late uh-huh. afternoon and evening time. It could, it could start. So, Hey, everybody here is looking forward to it. Let's see if we can. I know. I know that uh, Chris Austin is on there. Let's see what's happening up in her neck of the woods because she's a little farther away. But are, are you guys going through the uh, shutdowns of power in your areas? Yeah, had one today. As a matter of fact, for several hours, last several hours today, uh, rolling uh, a blackout. So, uh, but our power is back on right now. Okay. Let's bring on Miss Chris Austin, who is the purveyor of Maven's Notebook and the most wonderful. Lady in water news that I know. Chris, welcome. Hey, everybody. How you doing? Good. You have any uh, power outages since uh, they're talking about rolling power outages in California? No, um, we've been. It's been good up here. Uh, you know, we're. It's a, the state has been calling uh, uh, what they call the flex alert. So they've been asking everybody to reduce their usage between four and or five and four and eight p.m. or something. They've extended it today. Uh, they want people to be conserving energy three to ten p.m. and and you know so far I think we've been uh, we've been avoiding rolling blackouts at least up here. I had I thought the state whole state was, but apparently not. If uh, although you know Chris Davy, if your power was out for more than an hour. It might have been uh, something other than a rolling blackout because those should only last an hour, and then they they take somebody else's power out for an hour. So, uh, <laughs> so but anyways, um, up here as here been pretty good. Well, I saw yeah, the news. as you're talking, as you're talking, uh, uh, Chris, get, getting a text here from uh, the spousal unit, by the way, who is li- is listening, and just texted me and told me. It was not capital N O T a uh, a flex alert 
blackout or a rolling blackout. It was an equipment issue here uh, where, where I live. Yeah, Correct. yeah, Correct. yeah, yeah. Because you know the good thing about <clears throat> there's never it's never fun to lose power. But if you have a rolling blackout, the idea is nobody's going to bear bear it. They're going to share the pain, so it's only an hour. We I've been through some of those when we were in Canyon Country, and so you know we would wait, 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 and then it would come back on. But uh, but up here it's been it's been pretty good and. Uh, I've I've heard that uh the, it's been very effective these flex alerts uh the uh state sent out an emergency message I think it was on Tuesday uh where everyone's cell phones went off if you have if you're enabled for those emergency messages and and it asked everybody to conserve power and within minutes power demand had dropped by like 10 kilowatts or something, substantially dropped as people responded. So, you know, the flex alerts, they really do work. Uh, so that's the good news, I guess. I saw in the news it's that okay. your, 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 your governor was wearing a fleece jacket yesterday, and he said he turned <laughs> his, he's turned his temperature in his house up to 80-something degrees. I mean, that's a little warm to be to be doing that, I think. And what and what happens? I know in Arizona, and, and I think that it was still uh, have it in California, that if you use sort of some some types of medical equipment, that you have to let the power companies know. And then what happens if you're using something that you need a machine to keep you alive, and it goes off for an hour? What? what, well, what Jen, I do believe that they deliver some type of device to keep those things going. Uh, you know. Because they can't, they can't single out one house out of a neighborhood that gets power while everybody else doesn't. So they deal with that through an alternative powering sort of device. Mm. But yeah, I mean, it, it has to, it it has to happen. This, no. this, you know, here's where we hit these constraints. You know, these gnarly constraint things. You know, water. It's been a, it's becoming a constraint, and, and power is going to become a constraint too. Uh, and you know, we just we use a lot of electricity, and oftentimes, in a lot of ways, we probably use way more than we need to. So. Yeah. Well, I I know they're talking about uh, reinstating or building more nuclear plants in California and other places because that's a inexpensive way to get energy. Um, I know when the water is low in the in the res in the reservoirs and dams, it's going to shut off the hydroelectric power. Um, uh, the the sun, uh, you know, collecting collecting sun power is great, except at night when it doesn't. And I think California doesn't have enough storage. Yeah, that's that's the thing. I think the next thing that we're going to see is uh, a big uh, incentive. For people with solar panels to install a battery, uh, the technology is a bit expensive. I haven't looked into how much it costs for ours, but uh, generally, to get people to start adopting these things, then incentives would probably come into play. And and if we had, if you know, that would just make more houses more independent and off the grid. So you know. Well, then, then you still have the problem, just like with water, when they have uh, a drought, that the water agencies don't, don't make as much money, but they still have to pay all the people running the facilities, and the same thing with the power. So, 
It's all going to, as well, you said before the show starts, all the prices are going to go sky high. Well, they're certainly going to go sky high. But, the, you know, the power companies have been dealing with this uh, for for a while now. Uh, they just can't build enough build more of these power plants, more gas-fired to coal-fired power plants, uh, for many reasons. They're hard to build. They're expensive. Uh, And so, you know, they were just kind of in this situation uh, where they just, you know, they there have been incentives in place to get people to reduce their power usage for quite some time. I mean, and rebates for solar because they can't if they can't build any more power plants to generate the power, they have to reduce demand. And what we wanted to do in California, they wanted to incentivize reducing demand rather than building more power plants. So, you know, it's it, – and the, the kind of the difference between electricity and water, I think, is that you can – it is possible to generate more electricity. Um, I guess we could say with diesel, then it's the same thing. But it, it's expensive to do so, you know. Every Same with these so. Yeah, I heard you had a crazy story about squirrels. Oh, yes. Yes, uh, we can all learn a new word today. It's fluting. <laughs> and, yeah, it kind of sounds like you're saying something gnarly, but you're not really. Uh, they've been seeing squirrels doing some kind of strange behavior in the Bay Area and all this heat that, that's occurring, uh, and they call it fluting. They're, these squirrels are all like flat, laying flat bellied out on the ground, flat out, arms, legs ex- extended uh, all over the Bay Area. They're getting quite a lot of calls on it. And this is just what squirrels do, uh, you know, in the summer or when it's really hot. They have like fur all over their back. So how do they cool off? Well, they lay belly down on the on the ground and try and get transfer some of the heat from their bodies into the ground. Uh, so it's just a, a way they react to extreme heat. But so it's fluting. So if it's very hot in your neighborhood and you see squirrels lying flat-bellied all over the place, don't don't be worried. They're just fluting. <laughs> Sounds like a cute little thing. Yeah, yeah, cute little thing. But what's not necessarily cute is uh, the Hurricane K's remnants that are headed towards Southern California. That uh, you know, it's going to be interesting to see, you know, what what happens if this if this type of rainfall uh, arrives. But we're looking at you know intense rainfall in you know drought tinder dry area and, uh, you know, flood uh, fire burns and whatever. So it, it's going to be interesting to see. Um, I, I'm kind of glad I'm not going to be there. <laughs> yeah, I heard the other day in, in Santa Clarita, it was 104 degrees and it was hailing and, and downpouring with high winds and 104 degrees. We had we had hail in in the uh, in Phoenix, right outside Phoenix, uh, last week when we had the monsoon commit in in hundred degree temperature. 
Yeah, we're really having a lot of really extraordinary weather. Um, like in Sacramento, uh, they ha- they've had within the last year they've had their driest their driest period, their wettest period, their wettest storms, and their hottest temperatures. So you know, dry, dry, very wet, very hot, uh, all in one year. They've broken all those records. So. Uh, you know, we're definitely entering a new era. And while we're having this heat wave out here, you know, the East is having its own problems. And, you know, I think there's something happening in the Southeast, uh, more flooding or something headed that way. Some pretty extreme weather, you know, that we're experiencing. And it doesn't look like it's going to uh, change anytime soon. Let me, let me ask Mr. Davy a question. Chris, have you seen the, your city or water department start enforcing uh, more regulations about uh, not using their water efficiently? Because I know they're a very sustainable city. Yeah, so the city where I live in, yeah. uh, as you said, green con- yeah, green conscious uh, and, and and motivated for the population that lives here, kind of all of them, you know, a lot of people on board with conservation and all that sort of stuff. So <clears throat> appropriately, it's a good place to test out that, you know, test out that sort of thing. Um, and, you know, and you know, Rob, I, I walk the neighborhood quite a bit. So the, the sheer uh, amount, I mean, you know, every third or fourth house that is converting from turf to um, low-use native planting uh, or synthetic turf or you know, some other sort of um, uh, ground cover or something that isn't turf, that isn't lawn, that that has been astounding to me over the last year. I'm not talking just recently, Rob. I'm talking about over the last year. But to directly answer your question, I think from a from a standpoint of enforcing the word, the word that you asked, enforcing, I don't think I've seen or the city has seen uh, so much of an enforcement come about. But um, I think I think that there's no need for enforcement because there's been a high a high level of adoption by uh, city residents. So does that, does that make sense? Yep. Oh, that's, that's a good thing. You know, a while about, it was a little over a year ago, maybe two years ago, we were involved with the Municipal Water District of Orange County, and we had a contest running uh, for a front yard makeover. And it would be nice because I know they did a beautiful job in converting everything in the front, to, you know, the drip and, and all that. I would, I would love to go back and see how that still is if it still is, and what's happening with that, uh, and if they've seen a, a reduction in water uh, still to this day. It'd be interesting just to check that out. And Chris, uh, is, go ahead. Yeah, Rob, we should do that. I mean, I'm going to see you in a couple of weeks, Rob. We're going to go to an event together, if you if, yep. you, if you recall. I certainly hope that's still on your calendar, buddy. Yes, it is. <laughs> yes, yes and, it is. I didn't, I, didn't, I didn't forget. I got hey, I, I to be at the airport at 4.30 in the morning, so I didn't forget that. Yeah. So just as a so just as a uh, a point of or a point of notation um, that uh, the the winner of that contest and and who won her proximity the proximity of that property to where we will be going is fairly close. Yeah, maybe we have time to to take a take a ride over there after the after the event. And 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 uh, Chris Austin, uh, is, is there any? enforcement of water regulations that you see in your area in California? Um, No, I have to say not really. Um, I think 
I think there's a fair amount of compliance around here. Um, but, the, you know, I haven't really felt that people were slinging a lot of water around here anyways when we first got here. You know, I mean, there are there are. There are some green lawns and stuff. There's a lot of people doing a lot of different things. Um, but Chico is, uh, we're served by an investor-owned utility, not a public utility. Uh-huh. Uh, so it's Cal-Am, I think, or Cal-Water. And I don't think that they have the same abilities as public water agencies. Maybe they do, maybe not. Um, but no, I haven't really seen much much enforcement. But I, I have to be honest, I'm not out and about, so I honestly wouldn't know. But I don't but I don't I don't drive around and see people watering lawns and all that. So yeah. well, my, I, I have to admit I have one of the greenest front yards of anybody who I the but it's all artificial turf. <laughs> <laughs> I, I succumbed to that when I moved here because of the weather and the water usage that it would take to, to water as much as I need to water here. So uh, it's all it's all artificial turf, and and it actually looks nice. I've got the better stuff, not the cheap stuff, but uh, th- there's a reason because it looks nicer and it'll last longer. But it's still hot to walk on. I got to tell you that. Hot to walk on, yeah. Yeah, I you know I saw a an ad for a business down there in Southern California that would put in fake grass in whatever color you wanted. Now, can you imagine? Like, <laughs> your neighbor decides to go with hot pink artificial turf. Um, <laughs> that would be different. Well, you know they might do that in San Francisco. They paint the, what they call those. What do you call the old lady houses? What do you, was that, pa- that painted ladies? Painted, painted lady, lady. Yeah. painted yeah, yeah. lady houses. Yeah, <laughs> and they they paint them all different bright colors, yellow yeah. and, and green and and all that. The rest yeah. So so what's what's the big issues going on this week with uh, with water in California? Hey, uh, Chris, let me get Rob if you don't mind. I want to uh, kind of point this in because the biggest thing that's interested me all week has been, <clears throat> and we saw Governor Newsom on the on the television, um, kind of a little bit counter and you know kind of going up paddling upstream a little bit with the Diablo nuclear power plant. Chris, what's the, what's your comment on that? Keeping it, keeping it open for a while. Yeah. You know, it, it doesn't seem like it's a, it's a good idea to close down large scale power plants that, that we aren't, that aren't problematic. <laughs> I mean, if we, if there was like a problem at the nuclear facility, like there was a problem at San San Onofre down in Southern California. I don't know what happened, but they had some type of accident of some sort there. And so people fought to get that one closed down. So that one's being phased out. But this one, the Diablo Canyon hasn't really had any problems that I've been aware of. I think that they they wanted to phase it out, but I'm not... Uh, not exactly familiar with how that process started, but uh, you know this power power is a big issue, and you know a lot of people very nervous, very scared. I guess in a sense of nuclear power, and you look at Chernobyl, and you know the the place in Japan, and it, it you know those are 
those are bad examples and you certainly wouldn't want to live near them. Um, but in, you know, in a lot of places, they're in Europe and in Japan and, and I'd probably in other places too, it's a large source of power. And uh, there's actually, I think, a fair number of uh, nuclear plants operating worldwide and we're not, they're not really having big problems. If they're managed correctly and, you know, they have good equipment, then it's, it, you know, it's a major source of power. But I also understand pe people's nervousness looking at the place in Japan or, you know, Chernobyl. I can understand, I can understand that, but a lot of places are using nuclear power safely. Well, you're right. You're right about, you know, uh, people worrying about all of that stuff. But, you know, we, there's the same, Chris and I have talked to plenty of people with different water agencies where they do hydroelectric or whatever, and, and the pumps and turbines they have are like 60 years old and stuff like that. The maintenance is really important, and a lot of them don't do anything about it. And just like all the pipes that are buried in, across the country, especially even California, that are 100 years old that need replacement. I mean, maintenance is going to be a big deal. And, 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 and yeah, you know, we uh, America, after World War II, really built a lot of infrastructure. And yeah. a lot of that infrastructure is reaching the end of its life or has already. And that includes a lot of bridges, too, bridges and pipelines and water systems and, and dams. There are actually a, a lot of unsafe dams that just, you know, over the years has deteriorated. And, uh, you know, unfortunately, I don't see us attacking these sorts of problems, you know, as fast as perhaps we should. Because uh, bridge collapses and dam collapses are, you know, major tragedies usually take people with them. So... We won't want that. We shouldn't want that. So we need to have, and you know, okay. So now we have this the bipartisan infrastructure act. So hopefully, some of that's going to go in to make some difference. Well, I some hope, differences. I I agree with you. I hope as well. I only worry about money that that's used unwisely, or they have they decided to run project and then it gets taken and detoured to a different one and. We don't we don't learn about it till five years later. <laughs> all the money's gone, but I I hope all of that gets cleaned up someday because that's you know it's just like Medicare and everything else. You know, there's a lot of fraud going on. They and I seen an article a couple of weeks ago how much money just in the state of New York on fraud was, was like five hundred billion dollars of fraud on, on on Medicare in, in, in that state. So just imagine if that they, that was only one state. Imagine if they did that across the country. How much money was wasted, and that's what they need to go after, and, and and get some of that all taken care of. But anyway, that's for another day, and we'll get back to those issues. So Chris, it's going to be our our yeah. time for our commercial break. We do appreciate you as always. Come on and tell us the latest and what's happening. And uh, I know there's a lot of things that are coming up with with water, uh, especially with Newsom and what what he has plans. And I hope I hope all those things get implemented and that we get straightened out and have. Uh, reserves of water for the future so wouldn't that be nice oh be wonderful so chris thank you very much and for our listeners if you really want to learn more about water in california go to www.mavensnotebook.com 
Become a subscriber, become a sponsor. It's a great way of getting all that information every single day. And uh, Chris has some new things uh, uh, that she's doing with her, uh, her blog and stuff. And check it out. It's a great way to have it. So, Chris, thank you very much. We appreciate it. All right. Good evening, everyone. Have a good week, Chris. You too. We're going to take a little break, and we'll be back with a featured guest that we have all the way from the East Coast, and uh, actually from the South of the East Coast. So uh, stick around. It'll be an interesting conversation, and we'll be right back in just a moment. Listening to KCAA Loma Linda at 106.5 FM, K293CF, Moreno Valley. Moving up in this industry means getting the most out of each day, so you can focus on growing your business. With Site One, you're in control, and we're here to help. It starts with the right team. Our irrigation pros can help map out a complete, streamlined system to meet any requirements or regulation. And from the first dig to years after install, knowledgeable experts are available in branch or resources are available online to help find solutions specific to your needs. Next, we make sure you have the right tools to get the job done with the largest selection of top brands in the industry, bringing the latest in Wi-Fi enabled controllers, rotors, sprays, valves, and drip components. And because hard work should always be rewarded, you'll receive personalized pricing and earn loyalty points on qualifying purchases to help you grow. You're in control. Site One is here to help. Are you presently part of the irrigation industry as a worker or business owner? Do you want to learn how you and your staff can boost your knowledge and productivity? Then you should check out Irrigator Technical Training School. Irrigator Tech is the leading source of quality instruction serving all facets of the irrigation industry. Their courses provide a basic, easy-to-understand approach that raises the skill level, competency, and professionalism of landscape and irrigation personnel through practical education and services. Irrigator Tech combines classroom and real-life hands-on training, leading to a well-recognized certification that both customers and employers demand. Irrigator Tech specialized courses can help you quickly become a certified irrigation auditor or a certified installer, repair, maintenance, or backflow technician. Courses also include certificates in smart water application or becoming a certified tree worker. Most importantly, all certifications are state recognized and Irrigator Tech offers annual renewal classes to help keep your certification up to date. So whether you work in California, Washington, Oregon, Nevada, or Arizona, there's an Irrigator Tech class near you. For more information on how to jumpstart your career, call Irrigator Tech toll free 866-614-1755 or visit them on the web at irrigatortech.com. That's toll free, 866-614-1755, and on the web at irrigatortech.com. This is KCAA. All right, so welcome back to the second half of the Water Zone with uh, Chris Davey and myself. Uh, all right, I hope everybody's having a great day. Anyway, our featured guest today is a gentleman named uh, Greg Nathan, and Greg is Chief Business Officer for the National Golf Federation. Uh, it's the trade organization that provides the industry with the most accurate and objective insights and data on the business of golf. For over 15 years with NGA, and Greg has worked with virtually every type of business in the game helping them with strategies and approaches supported by data 
and deep category knowledge. And prior to NGF, Greg was a marketing executive with The Golf Magazine and an ad agency in New York City. So, Greg, welcome to The Water Zone. Thank you, Rob. Great to be with you. Appreciate you joining us today. Um, we always like to start off uh, the conversation with some little background stuff, and and we're because we're always curious about the people we talk to. And uh, so the question that I just want to lead off with is the following: What made you pick the business that you're in today? How did what steered you to that direction? Wow. Well, how much time do you have? Well, uh, I know I know you're a scratch golfer. You came off the pro tour, right? Right. <laughs> yeah. Well, that that's not my story, but I will tell you that it it, it is not an accident. Uh, me working in the golf industry, I grew up not in a golf house. I grew up playing competitive tennis. I was even a club tennis pro at two clubs in Westchester County, New York. But in my early twenties, I went all in on golf, and I. I'd say I knew from the age of 22 that I wanted to work in golf. If I was describing how I felt then, I would have told you uh, I want to I want to work with the leading business executives in the game. I want to know them. I want them to know me because I do something of value for them. And I, I couldn't have told you exactly what that meant, but I can tell you that 22 years later in the golf industry, that I found that needle in a haystack position, uh, because the NGF, uh, National Golf Foundation, is such a unique organization that I get to work with the leading companies in every vertical, uh, and that's a particularly different thing about this job. So if you're a golf-crazy lunatic like I am, and you like business, uh, I often say I'm, I'm the luckiest guy around. So are you, are you a scratch golfer? Uh, you know, I've been really working on my game. I'm down in the six index range. Not, not bad. I have a two handicap myself. Fantastic. No, but that's only because my hitting is bad and my putting is bad. There you go. <laughs> and, and you know, when I, when I play with the guys I play with, you know, they, they always like to play contests like, you know, who has the longest drive, closer to the hole. And, and I always win my section, which is closest to the tee box. Because they always top the ball. So, anyway, I'll move on. Uh -huh. Well, you know, you come to, come to South Florida, Rob, and I'll help you with that, too. I appreciate that. So, I'm going to let Mr. Chris Davies start off the conversation. We have some, we have some questions for you and, and some interesting uh, things we hope to hear back. So, Chris, take at it. Yeah, yeah, easy to go. Thanks, Rob. Hey, Greg, welcome to the show. Chris here. I uh, appreciate you coming on. So, I'm just kind of, you know, kind of looking at the listener feed here and, I, and I'm, I'm going to ask you a kind of 30,000-foot question, right? Rob, I always seem to get this question, don't I, buddy? It seems to settle in, uh, in, in, uh, on my side of the, uh, uh, the pond every time I, I get to ask this question. But So sort of like from a 30,000 view, you know, what's the status of the, of the golf industry today? As, you know, as you see it, you know, we've, we've gone through such an uh, uh, uncomfortable last few years, and, and every industry, including golf, has been affected. Um, you know, kind of for our listeners, if you will, can you kind of give us that, you know, that high-level view and, and uh, perspectives of, of what you see uh, uh, in the golf industry today? Of course. Um, you know, it would be, it would be uh, 
easy to say right now that the golf industry, and when I say golf industry, I'm talking about recreational golf, people who play the game uh, not professionally. And right. if you look at the, at the recreational game, uh, what I like to call golf's front door, which is the 16,000 golf courses in America, the suppliers who support those 16,000 courses, and then you've got the businesses that support golfers, that sell things to golfers. I would say that the golf industry is, is in the strongest position since the early 2000s when Tiger Woods was really at his peak and golf was cooler than ever at that time. And right now, whether or not anybody thinks golf is cool, golf is hot relative to people playing the game, uh, engaging at the highest level based on the utilization level of golf courses. Uh, and the growth in off-course golf has also been booming. And when we talk about off-course golf, we're talking about uh, the traditional standalone driving ranges. We're talking about golf entertainment like Top Golf and Drive Shack. Uh, and we're talking about simulator play. Uh, and that can be at a variety of different types of locations where that happens. So uh, full swing. Real club, real ball. And so if you look at both the on-course game and off-course game, you're looking at about 50 million uh, total participants. Um, it's actually like if you look at the overlap between, the, between on and off, you've got about 30, I think it's about 36 million net because there is some meaningful overlap between the 25 million on course and the 25 million off course. So as a result of people playing, uh, the, the amount of golf activity happening right now, the suppliers and the courses uh, are doing really about as well as I've seen in my 22 years in the industry. Um, if anything, most of the leading companies that I work with would say that they're leaving money on the table because of a lot of the Supply, you know, supply chain issues uh, that we've we've all heard plenty about. You know, the struggle is real relative to uh, companies being able to produce all the product that is in demand currently. So the business is really strong right now, uh, stronger stronger than I've seen in, in several decades. Is there a quantitative measure on? I mean, I'm, I'm assuming that you're saying that you know golf play, uh, you know, paid rounds, if you will, as it has, has increased, as well as what you were discussing about the on-course and off-course <clears throat> uh, uh, supplemental parts of the business that that uh, are also benefiting by this. But, you know, recently here coming out of uh, lockdown and, and out of the pandemic, is, is, is paid golf play increasing? Well, I can tell you that Nationwide, rounds are up almost 20% over the past two years. Uh, 2021 was a record number of, of rounds since, since measurement began. About 522 million rounds played in, in 2021. Uh, and you know, this, this boom started, uh, you know, if, if you think about the year 2020 and COVID, where 50% of golf courses were closed 
for several months in the spring, we were down about 20 million rounds, uh, you know, maybe four or five months through 2020. And we ended up being up 60 million rounds in 2020. So about 14% rounds up in 2020. And people thought, wow, well, the, this, this can't increase from there, but it did. It went up about another 5% in 2021. So that's, uh, that's a pretty strong indication of high utilization of America's golf facilities. And for the first time in many years, golf courses started to have pricing power again. You know, golf is, is similar to every other economy, and it's all about supply and demand. Uh, and so the demand on America's golf courses was up in such a way that all of a sudden tee sheets start filling up. And golf courses have gotten a little bit better about uh, managing their yield relative to increasing price uh, with this increase in demand. And they really have not had the capability to do that in a significant way, you know, going back to around you know, the, the Great Recession, the 2007, 8, 9 period. Where's, where, where, where's the largest golf market? Is, is it the U.S.? Is it Asia? Is it Europe? Just a, just the U.S. is by far. The U.S. is by far the largest golf market. In fact, the U.S. alone is about 45% of the world's golf courses. Well, I know years ago, not too many years ago, people weren't building golf courses. They were closing them, and, and there was a lot of uptick in retrofitting uh, courses. And I guess that's still happening now, uh, and I see more courses being put in. Um, but how wh- how do you think the industry was affected by the COVID pandemic, and now that inflation is coming? What, what do you see? What's your vision for that? Well, uh, you know, as I mentioned, Rob, COVID, who would have ever thought uh, that a global pandemic was going to be a boom for the golf industry, which, you know, has had a, you know, a bit of stagnation over the past, you know, since 2005, 2006. But that's exactly what happened, is that as people became very focused on safety, the lockdown that you referred to, golf was one of the only activities that remained open. And it reminded people of some of the intrinsically wonderful qualities of golf. You know, golf showed itself to be the perfect activity for a pandemic world. And what I mean by that is the capability where nothing else is is open because of COVID, you could play golf and you'd be outdoors, exercise. It's a social activity. It's great for mental health. And all of a sudden, a lot of people who had, you know, they see golf all around them. Golf is ubiquitous. The 16,000 courses, pretty much anywhere you look, anywhere you live in the United States, there's golf. And so people who have been interested in playing but never acted upon it, when you get a little bit stir-crazy, all of a sudden, hey, I'm going to take that step from the couch to the course. And that happened to a very significant degree. Um, and I don't think that, you know, if you, if you think about whether this surge is sustainable, that's a question I get all the time. Um, 
there's a couple, I would say that there are headwinds and tailwinds. There are things that, you know, we don't have a crystal ball, but if you think about the tailwinds, you'd say that this trend towards safety that was really exaggerated by the pandemic, it's not going to go away completely. I, I often use the analogy of pre-pandemic, if I was on an airplane, I might notice three, four, five people wearing masks. But I think for the next 10 years or more of our lives when we get on airplanes, the percent of people would be closer to 20% or more on airplanes who will be wearing masks. So there will be this residual trend towards safety and safe activities. And golf will continue to benefit from that. You would also see from COVID that there was a negative media narrative all around golf uh, for the past 10 or 15 years. Now, that can happen when only 10, you know, 8, eight to 10% of the U.S. population plays golf. So that means 90-plus percent don't play and maybe don't appreciate, it, don't appreciate its charms. So that meant that the media would have no problem writing negative articles about golf, whether it's about water usage or, you know, things about discrimination or other things that, you know, the media likes to write about. Um, what COVID did, because golf turned out to be this, this great um, place for people to spend time when they're under all this stress, the positive media narrative took over. And you'd be hard-pressed uh, to find negative articles about golf now as a result of that. And so that's a tailwind for the game. You, you have the booming expansion of off-course golf that I mentioned, which creates more opportunities for people to experience hitting a real ball with a real club. And one of the things that we know it takes for someone to get hooked on the game is they have to feel that thing called shot euphoria. <laughs> Rob, you know, even with your handicaps, Rob, you wouldn't play if you didn't get to feel shot euphoria every now and then, right? No, you're absolutely. It's that sound of the driver when you hit it, and you hear that ping sound. I know I'm not, I'm not, I'm not uh, sponsoring uh, ping golf itself, but but that sound, that that metal sound when it when it comes off the club, and then you look up and it's really going straight, not curving to the left or right, or or you top the ball and it just dribbles forward three feet. But yeah, you're right. You're absolutely right. I I you get to. You get to see that ball soaring into the horizon like a thing of beauty. Yes. Right? You're absolutely so, right. so if you have these off-course places, whether it's top golf or a driving range, to be able to experience shot euphoria. So that growth in off-course participation translates to a greater chance of people to say, you know, I really want to play. I think I could play on course. Right. And so that's another major tailwind that's helping the game. Um, interest in playing the green grass game, the on-course game, uh, is at an all-time high. So we've been measuring for a long time what we call latent demand. And that means people who are interested in playing golf but don't currently play. And the number one answer in those, those national surveys that we do is, very interested 
And the way we ask the question is, how interested are you in playing golf on a golf course now? Not when you win lotto, not when your kids move out of the home, not when you get a raise at your job. It's, it's now. And that, that number one answer has 18 million people, non-golfers, who give the number one answer, say, I'm very interested. Now, it doesn't mean they're all going to act on it. But if you were in any business in the world, to have 18 million prospects very interested in buying your product, you'd be, you'd be in pretty good shape relative to, you know, there's not a lot of liability on the downside uh, that is likely when that many people are interested in your product. Now, there's headwinds, too. Uh, and the biggest headwind is the weather. Something near and dear to Rob and Chris's hearts, right? So the weather during the past two years has been unbelievably favorable for golf. So the 14% increase in rounds in 2020, the 5% on top of that in rounds that we had in 2021 could not have happened without favorable, uh, would not have happened at that level, I should say. Uh, without very favorable weather, and that can't continue inevitably, you know, indefinitely. That's a better word. Um, so the weather is has the greatest impact on rounds played. So that cannot continue to be lacking part, uh, lacking pre- precipitation to the level that it was. Um, you also had, you know, a good part of two years where golf was the only game in town. Well, now people are are returning to their oversubscribed lifestyle, you know, chasing kids around the soccer field, uh, everything that that people do in this crazy, crazy time and crazy life. Um, so golf has to compete, just like it always has. You know, other recreation choices, every recreation choice is what golf is competing with. And so we had a period of time where we were the only game in town. Um, and then you've got... A couple of other trends, you know, first of all, people going back to work in offices. It doesn't seem like they'll ever go back at the level that we were. But definitely people are returning to office environments, which means less flexibility to play than they had during 2020 and 2021. Uh, And heavy, heavy utilization of the golf courses, I touched on this earlier, means that the courses had the ability to increase prices, and the T-sheets are more full. So someone who's on the fence all of a sudden calls a golf course and, and they say, oh, we, 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 we can't accommodate your tee time because we're full, or someone who might be a little more price conscious, you know, who might be sensitive to the price increase that this supply and demand situation has enabled. But if you're Toro or you're in the business of, of uh, supplying facilities, you love it that they're able to get higher green speed. We're happy that the golf's front door, the golf courses are doing better financially, and they are. And so that's a wonderful thing for the golf industry. So I know that was a yeah, mouthful. Love, yeah, no problem, Greg. You know, I, lo- I, I love the, the, the attributes you provide uh, informationally as golf's front door. So. Let me let me ask a question here because I, I wish we had uh, more time than we do. But 
but I want to get into this, and it's really looking at at golf from an economic standpoint, right? Golf economics, um, if you will. I mean, when you look at that, uh, it's 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 an expansive property, right? Just uh, facilities and functionally, and just the size of the property and all that sort of stuff. There's a lot of work. There's a lot of people. There's a lot of money that go into into upkeep. So looking at looking at activities on a on a golf course from the uh, aspect of a of the golf superintendent, right? Let me ask this question. In in your opinion, with your 15 years of history in the industry, what what has changed in the way that today's golf courses are managed kind of compared to the way it was when you first got in the industry, Greg? Well, the first thing is I, I believe every year the management of golf facilities gets more sophisticated. You know, golf isn't the most technologically advanced industry, but every year more technology comes in. So whether that, whether that means we're talking about the point-of-sale software that might control inventories and might uh, be used by the, by the manager to run the facility, um, that could mean the types of uh, moisture sensors that are planted in the ground that help a superintendent manage water. Uh, there are so many different things now that are available to people who manage the turf or manage the, the operation, the clubhouse operation, that help them do it smarter, better, more efficiently. But I, I do think the more, most difficult, I think any general manager or superintendent right now would tell you that their number one challenge has to do with people. And it's not unique to golf. Uh, I think so many businesses are feeling that right now, but finding good people and managing your, your cost uh, of employment, your cost of those people, is the biggest challenge. So that's not something that was previously a big deal. You know, it didn't used to be difficult to find find people uh, at the level that, that it is now. And then the other piece is uh, management companies. And we've definitely seen a growth in, uh, just to use the U.S. golf, golf courses, uh, we've definitely seen an increase in the percent of courses that are run by professional management companies. And that brings a whole set of, uh, a whole set of best practices into play. And that's, you know, that's one of the main drawing cards, one of the main reasons why an independent owner might hire a management company is to take advantage of economies of scale that a management company can bring and to take advantage of best practices. So, that's, that's where I would look for the trends in, in the running of golf operations. Well, I know, I know a lot of the superintendents are involved. Actually, I'm saying all of them are involved with water because that's one of the biggest expenses. You've got labor, you've got the, the software, as you mentioned, and you've got uh, equipment and, and maintenance of everything. The water is a big deal right now because of the drought in certain areas uh, spreading across the country. And I know there's a lot of new technology. You know, our company provides uh, items like that. Uh, but uh, I, I, where, where do they find people to be superintendents? Do they, I mean, I know the answer to that, but I, I want to ask you that. Uh, how does somebody become a, a superintendent? 
of a golf course? What do they have to know? Where do, where do they get to get certified uh, and such? You know, that's a great question. I would not say that I'm a category expert uh, in that, Rob, but I think that uh, I'll answer it this way. When I first came to the National Golf Foundation in 2007, all of my experience in the golf business was on the consumer side. So when I was working at Golf Magazine, I was only really thinking about the companies that sell things to golfers, okay? But when I came to the NGF, one of the first things I was ever told by CEO Joe Bettis is that I want you to understand that the superintendent at the golf course is almost always the best educated, smartest person employed at the golf facility. And why shouldn't they be? They're the one in charge of the greatest asset. Right. You know, the asset that truly makes the money. So, you know, that's a long way for me to answer your question, which is, you know, there's a certain level of, you know, I, I don't even know whether to call it, a, you know, uh, agriculture education it's really about you know how to grow great turf it's about science uh it, you know it's about everything relative to growing healthy grass and maintaining it and that requires education not just on the job training so we appreciate that so how do, how do people find we got two minutes left here Where, how do people find out about your organization uh, the, the easiest way is uh, ngf.org. That's where, we, uh, starting in January, we launched a new website, and uh, anyone who visits the site would see the type of information that we make available, some free and some to our membership. I mean, that's what we're best known for, is being uh, the independent and objective expert on the vital signs of the golf business. And so ngf.org... Uh, is the number one place uh, to see who we are and what we do. But the membership is only one piece of it. We also, uh, I spend most of my days doing private consulting to help golf-related businesses. Right. Uh, and that could be private research or marketing and a number of other things. Okay. Well, I'm going to let Mr. Davey wrap it up here because we're coming up to our NBC News Hour, which we have to be excused and let them take over. Uh, otherwise, we don't get canceled or we get canceled. Why do we want that to happen? <laughs> <laughs> I don't want to be yeah. responsible for that. No, you won't. Uh, no, Greg, neither do we. Uh, Greg, hey, so much uh, appreciate you for us coming on the show. We appreciate it very much. It's great to have you on. appreciate your time this evening from, uh, from there in the great state of Florida. Thank you, Robin, Chris. Enjoy being with you. Thank you, Sandy. Hi to Joe Thanks. for us. We appreciate it. Will do. Bye-bye now. Bye-bye. Well, thank you. Thanks. Thanks. Go ahead, Chris. All right, Rob. What is the uh, what's the thing we say every week to uh, to our listeners? Please help our planet keep our planet blue. Blue. All right. You can hey, change. Thanks, everybody. It's an evolving thing.